Welcome to the Grow Beyond podcast, a podcast devoted to international working experience. At Grow Beyond, we facilitate global career starts and help people to grow beyond their comfort zone. In this podcast, we interview young people that have built an international career on the steps they took, the challenges they faced and the lessons they've learned. They share tips and tricks and insights on their industries and countries they are working in. We are showcasing international opportunities and highlight how finding work abroad might advance a career faster than staying in your comfort zone. Let's get ready to grow. You're listening to the Grow Beyond podcast episode 7. Welcome. Today we're talking to Lisa. Lisa is originally from Germany but now lives in Beijing where she works for a German think tank. Lisa studied China studies and politics in Germany, the Netherlands and China. She is very passionate about the environmental sector, where she was already able to gain first-hand insights, for example, when she was working with the German Chamber of Commerce. With no further ado, here is Lisa. Welcome to the Grow Beyond Podcast Episode 7, and I'm super excited to talk to Lisa today, who joined us all the way from Beijing in China. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Lisa. Hi, Rona. Hello from Beijing to Berlin. Yeah, and um, it's very exciting to speak to you, especially since you're sitting in a city where so much is happening at the moment, so much is changing, and I'm really excited to hear about that as well. And maybe, first of all, you can give us a little bit um, of an introduction to yourself, who you actually are, what you're doing, and how you got to Beijing and where you're sitting at the moment. <laughs> okay. Hi, I'm Lisa, originally from uh, Cologne, uh, Germany. So far, I've lived in Germany, the United States, Netherlands, and a lot of times already in China. Um, I did my bachelor's degree in China studies in uh, in Germany after um, after graduating high school because I went to China, uh, taught English there, and uh, didn't really like the country so much. It was very uh, challenging half year, very difficult. Uh, but then I came back to Germany and thought, wow, I cannot let this country defeat me. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why I started studying China studies in order to actually learn something or, you know, get this question mark I had above my head while living in China before mm -hmm. away. And um, yeah, and then I did my undergraduate in, in Cologne, went back to China to improve my language skills. Then I started my master's degree at Leiden University in the Netherlands, um, because they're quite renowned for China studies, actually. It was a two-year program and uh, one year again in China in a second-tier city, Jinan, which is, uh, I think, one of the most smoggiest places on mm. earth. <laughs> and then one year in the Netherlands. And then I came back to, to, to China. First, I was with the German Chamber of Commerce, with the Environment Department, which was super exciting because especially the environment uh, things here in China are, are very fast changing and, and China is very eager in, in improving a lot of things around here uh, and also succeeding in a way. And now uh, I'm with a German think tank, uh, the GIZ, and uh, quite excited. Cool. And you said something very interesting, which I also didn't know actually about, um, that you didn't really like it. I mean, I know it was very challenging for me as well when I went to, uh, for the first time to China, but you still decided to, to study and to continue. So what was, first of all, what was the biggest challenge or what did you think was the hardest for you when you went for the first time to China? 
Um, well, I think the hardest, obviously, was the language barrier mm. because the language barrier still now almost 10 years after the first time I've been to China is, is still very, very high and um, still a, a daily struggle and a daily challenge, even though now my Chinese is, is actually on a, on a quite okayish level. But mm. that, the language barrier and also things here, they, they're different, things the way things work here are different. And mm. I think back in 2009, it was even even more so. Yeah. And a lot of things just didn't work. Mm. But I never was able to understand why they didn't work. Mm. So simple things like maybe chopping off my phone or, or buying train tickets back then was such a big challenge. And that was very, very frustrating. But also it made me quite eager to wanting to understand this. A lot of things I thought was frustrating, but I just didn't want to be, oh, whatever. I just don't understand it. I want to know why it is the way it is so I mm. think it was a challenge and how do you think did it change you a lot like if you look back to Lisa in 2009 and now like how did that experience also change you can can you t do you have a take on that I don't I don't really know I I think in a way it makes you a bit more open-minded and mm. makes you more willingly to listen to mm. other people people because in order to really understand you have to listen and I think mm. this is a very important lesson a lot of people still have to learn sadly mm. um yeah I think listening mm. was quite important and mm. and it, it was a challenge yeah <laughs> and you also said that obviously 10 years so much it has changed I remember for myself as well I went in 2009 and then I went back in 2013 and simply having I mean 2009 we had internet but in 2013 I had a smartphone and that changed so much right in 2009 I still had like little papers saying with the addresses where I wanted yeah. to go and and then you had a smartphone you could just google you just had all the knowledge in your pocket on the spot so obviously I, for me in that that experience changed a lot but also China obviously changed a lot so you talked about already buying train tickets and things like that so what are big changes that you have observed in terms of maybe technology or how things work um, over this course of, of 10 years? It's, it's not just 10 years, just mm. comparing. Mm. I went, uh, during my master's degree, I went to China beginning of 2016. Now mm -hmm. it's beginning of 2018. And just in this, not even two years course yeah. of time, so many things have changed. At the beginning of 2016, of course, uh, using your mobile phone for payment uh, was quite popular. And uh, mm -hmm. having bike sharing around it, a little bit tiny bit in here but now I cannot walk out of my out of my door and not like uh, not almost fall uh, over a shared bike because there's so many around here and it's not mm. just shared bikes it's it's shared umbrellas or basically anything and also with the mobile payment here the people don't even want cash anymore even the the little fruit lady who only has a stall on the street she rather takes a mobile payment than than actual cash so in this regard it's it's very very changing of course the size of the city um The prices have changed uh, mm. as well. But uh, I remember in 2009, we had some parts of town we would never go to because they seemed so far away. Uh, one of them was Guamao, where the CCTV building is at. Now I'm ready to move there because it's such a convenient location and such a nice neighborhood, actually. Mm. But back then, there was nothing there. The subway mm. system uh, changed 
like crazy. But also uh, the pollution, for example. Mm. Uh, last year, we had a lot of smog. We had two apocalypse. So the smog was so heavy that uh, no transportation was possible, no mm. flights, no train, uh, no car rides. Mm. And this winter, we had blue sky and mm. sunny days every day for the mm. whole winter time so far. So yeah, it's it's... China is full of surprises. So many interesting things to talk about. I'm trying to take some notes to remember all the questions that came <laughs> up. So, um, first of all, this, I mean, th sitting here in Germany, which feels like 50 years from now where you are, like it's talking to someone <laughs> far away in the future. So you talk about these mobile payments and the sharing economy. So two very interesting topics. So maybe first on the sharing. I mean, we also have bike sharing, car sharing here, but you talk about sharing umbrellas and sharing everything. How does this work or how, how can, can you elaborate on that a little bit more it's quite simple here in china they have two they call it super apps mm -hmm. um, and with these apps basically you can do anything you can do the mm -hmm. mobile payment uh, you can chat with friends you can send money transfer money you can buy mm -hmm. takeout you can do anything with these apps and basically the sharing no matter whether it's umbrellas or bikes or anything is always the same you scan a qr code mm -hmm. and then uh, a lock opens And then you're registered and then you bring it back, close the lock and then unlock on your phone. That's mm. it. I think one of the reasons why the sharing economy here is uh, much more, uh, how do you say, uh, like easygoing if it comes to trying out things like sharing umbrellas. I think in Germany, people would laugh at you if you come mm. in with this idea. Mm. But I think here the, the startup Uh, situation is easier for start to establish startups mm. um, and I think that's really where it drives from mm. also the the sharing bike for example it was students who established this at their campus here in Beijing mm. actually and they were so successful and now they're millionaires <laughs> yeah and uh, you talked about the payment as well so even even I cannot imagine this having not been there for two years now and uh, you know I'm standing like I always say I'm standing in line at Rewe waiting for this lady to to scan my three products and then pay everything in coins because there's not even a self-checkout and no one is even paying with tap to go you know people are still paying in coins and cash yeah, yeah. so um <laughs> so I cannot imagine this um fruit store lady for example you mentioned so it also works with her phone so she just has yeah. a phone or she has a device and you just scan via her phone and everything is um is done not like even mm. not even not even she has a qr code and i can mm. scan the qr code and transfer her money mm. and or in seconds. or if they're Yeah, 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 yeah. Immediately, like immediately she has a bling on her device that mm -hmm. says, oh, there is some payment. Or um, if they're more advanced, they have devices and they scan your QR code. Mm. And wh why do you think people are also, why don't they want money anymore? Even the, the fruit store lady, is it a convenience thing? Is it a time thing? Where, where do you think that orin originates from? I think it originates from the convenience thing. Mm. I think... Um, I think this was not established necessarily for the small fruit stall lady on mm, the street, but here the the car sharing and the bike sharing and everything, it's so convenient because you can do everything with your mobile phone and pay with it. I remember bike sharing in Germany, you first have to register with your credit card mm. and then you get a login code and then it works. But you always first have to go home and register. But mm. here it's ready to use mm. just because you have this app and all you need to do is this use this QR code. So I think the the Chinese version of Uber and the bike, bike sharing and uh, 
buying movie tickets online and everything. Mm-hmm. I think this this all enabled it a bit more. And mm-hmm. now everybody uses it. Hardly anybody uses cash anymore. Yeah. You, I mean, there are obviously downsides to that as well, or like things you can see critically. You already mentioned the super apps. So these apps are obviously unbelievably powerful. And I cannot <laughs> even imagine that there's one app that you can order things with, you can chat with, and you can also pay with. So it's everything mm-hmm. in, in one app. So yeah. what are the critical voices? in regards to that are there any <laughs> mm, I think uh, the critical voices are mainly western voices mm. but the, as far as I hear from, from my friends around and my, my colleagues as well they don't really see it critical but they see the positive sides to it mm. um, and if you look around uh, through western media there maybe are more critical voices to mm. it but here the people see the positive sides in it Mm. And you mentioned the environment as well. So you worked for the um, German Chamber of Commerce and you were involved in environmental things there. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about that. What positive developments do you see there or, or what is happening? Yeah, uh, well, obviously, one of the most uh, positive development for us this winter has been the the clear blue sky. It's mm. it's still unbelievable to myself. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm still every day amazed when I look out, and it's just yeah. blue. It's like nothing, nothing mm. compared to the years before. Really, mm. um, this has been a great development. They did a lot. Uh, they a big problem here is the wintertime due to heating mm. and heating mainly was coal-based. Uh, this year they switched to a g- more gas-based heating that mm. really did long. Just last week was Spring Festival. Uh, Happy New Year of uh, the dog, by the way. Mm. And, yeah, true. and for example, here in Beijing, within the Fifth Ring Road, which is a quite big area, actually, uh, you were not allowed to use firecrackers. Uh, and this was quite strictly enforced, mm. also due to, to smog. Mm. Um uh, they have alert, an alert system uh, if there are some smog waves uh, where cars are not allowed to be on the street. Um, yeah, these are the, I think, most recent regulations maybe mm. they enabled. Uh, they're really big on, on now the quota of e-mobility. So they want to get more e-cars on the street. And um, the, uh, now everywhere they placed... Um, the loading stations for e-cars mm-hmm. um so these you see much more around here in in china than yeah probably in all of all of germany i think oh yeah, sure, yeah and um so yeah there, there really is a change around in this mm-hmm. regard what do you think happened though because i remember also already years ago you know there was this talk about um not having certain number plates of cars on the street and so on and also there were regulations and filters you could put into the the um the extractions and stuff of companies and they just paid the fines because the fines were cheaper And then making the changes. So what happened that, um, yeah, there is this shift and also it seems like a growing awareness amongst the um, the people. I know that a lot of Chinese always said you had your industrial revolution, now we have ours. Is there yeah. really, is there something changing within the society that you can observe? 
I um, I think this depends. Like yes, the mm. the clear answer here would definitely be yes. Mm. I, I I think you can clearly see a change within society, and uh, I think this change is most visible in the uh, big first tier cities, um, so Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, maybe as well, uh, and then goes slower and slower into the countryside. So for example, in Jinan, uh, we had an AQI of I think 600 outside, and mm. a colleague was not wearing a mask, and he was like, I have strong Chinese lungs I don't need to wear a mask <laughs> yeah. so I mean there obviously the awareness was still quite mm. low but here in, in Beijing uh, people more and more have filters uh, they have the, um, the the stations in order to check the air quality uh, our office for example has filters everywhere and the stations to check the to monitor the, the air quality um, you see more people with a mask around and mm. you feel I feel that more people are complaining about it mm. and I mean the thing about smog is you can see it yeah. and um that's i mean like and you, you can, can really taste see it, and it, it as well and you yeah. can feel and it. Smell yeah. it yeah 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 very true very true and you also you feel it like you cough and you feel like you mm. like you smoked a lot even though I you know, didn't like, you can really immediately actually feel the negative effects on your yeah. body and um i mean not just i feel it but the population around and mm. i think there there is a changing awareness mm. now that's a really good news I'm, I'm happy to hear that because uh it's such a beautiful city as well beijing you know and it breaks makes and breaks everything with the smog you know if i'm thinking blue skies and sunshine and and then you know these terrible smog clouds hanging over it um so i'm happy yeah. that you're um you're there now and you can report this change and yeah going back a little bit to the career path and working internationally thank you so much for sharing these very interesting insights on what is happening on the other side of the globe um so you you basically the um uh, german chamber of commerce was like one of your first jobs out of university you would say right like you you got that first position how did that come along how was it how did you get in was it easy for you is it a lot of networking in china how how did that work well um i i just simply applied and mm. i guess i i was uh, lucky to get that internship mm. um and i think a big lesson there was try mm. <laughs> just try mm. <laughs> nothing is eaten as hot as they cook it yeah. uh, a german saying goes <laughs> and i think this holds a lot of truth in it um but generally speaking here in china networking is very important i mm. think uh, networking is very important in anywhere in the mm. world but especially here in china you really have to try and get out there meet people talk to people exchange business cards mm. is very important here as well and so uh, the german chamber of commerce of course is uh, has a lot of connections and here in in beijing there are a lot of talks a lot of events happening mm. so uh, there the environment department was a great opportunity to meet a a lot of really interesting people who work uh, in the environment field uh, mm -hmm. in China or with China. And uh, yeah, really get out there. And there's a lot of knowledge around here, mm -hmm. which is super exciting. It's very vibrant and a lot of amazing people. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was great, actually. So that also that helped then helped you to get into the position you have now because you could already establish connections, meet people, kind of build a network. Yeah, I um, I mean, also with this uh, now at the GSZ is uh, simply uh, apply and try mm. and, you know, you never know, like 
whenever you apply, there's always a possibility that there's simply somebody who has more experience. So a bit of luck mm -hmm. always goes along with it. But uh, of course, before I met already other people who work at the GIZ and I talked to them and how it is and, you know, like was quite interested in, in working with uh, a German think tank here mm -hmm. or having the opportunity. But uh, yeah, of course, I, I try to talk to people and uh, networking is quite important here <laughs> yeah. and do you have any apart from yeah of course attending events going there meeting people is there something else like linkedin or another website something you use in china something that you would recommend for people to look at yeah uh, linkedin um actually you can still use in china i'm <laughs> amazed myself yeah. and uh People around here are also very eager to use it, uh, yeah. both uh, the um, national as uh, well as the international crowd. Mm. And also there are always a lot of uh, intern and uh, job offers on LinkedIn mm. for China, actually. Mm. Um, so that's always a good opportunity. Mm. Okay, cool. Um, so meeting people, getting out there, putting yourself out there. Um, yeah, I think is obviously important everywhere. But in China, I think also with the business cards and all that kind of connection building. <laughs> probably even more um what do you think like for young people listening what do you think what are exciting opportunities right now in Beijing or in China and um, maybe you talked about startups as well it's much easier like is there something where you think um talking to like a 20 year old for example that is something uh, you think is really interesting to look at at the moment mm, I think um I think doing doing an internship in China is definitely worth uh, considering. Mm. Uh, talking to a 20-year-old uh, now, I, I would definitely suggest that. But also maybe simply just coming here to study seems mm. like a good opportunity because it's a whole different uh, perspective on how university works. Yeah. And um, as I said, uh, a great thing here about Beijing is that there are so many events and so many interesting things, actually, mm. uh, which are for free and you can just simply attend um, or participate. Uh, there are a lot of uh, think tanks and organizations, of course, um, who now work or like not just now, but for a long time already, work in China and especially the in, the uh, environment sector is, is very vibrant at the moment. Mm. I think there are a lot of opportunities for young people, but at the same time, I also have to admit that um, getting a junior position here in China is kind of tough. Mm. And that's because there are for foreigners, not that many junior positions out mm. there. There are a lot of teaching positions out there still, mm. but actual junior positions is a little bit difficult due to visa regulations. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you even speak Chinese, right? So I mean, yeah. if you don't speak Chinese, I imagine it's even more difficult. Than yeah, but... Yeah, but I like, of course, like uh, the the better your Chinese is, I think the better are your chances of getting something mm. here because uh, speaking fluent Chinese and uh, another uh, European language, especially, is, is a big asset, of course. Mm. Okay, so just two final questions. It's so interesting. I can uh, talk to you forever, but I want to keep this short. <laughs> so just two quick questions. So one. Um, I don't know if this is possible in a few words, but is there, can you give us a take or a glimpse of what you did um, in your work for the German Chamber of Commerce and now for the GIZ? Like kind of what is your daily task or what do you do? Do you do a lot of research? Do you write articles? Um, is there some way to sum it up? What, what, did, what you're doing, like what your tasks include? 
it's it is uh, it is a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Um, the German the environment department of the German Chamber they uh, release a magazine, mm-hmm. and uh, I also um, helped with that and uh, you know researched for the articles and uh, was in charge of that. It was quite exciting. And also they always have business delegations. And um, during my time at the chamber, we had one about uh, the biogas sector. Mm-hmm. I've I've never came across about uh, thinking of biogas. I have to be honest but it's actually mm. a very very interesting field and uh, so that was super interesting I learned a lot there um, so yeah mm-hmm. with business delegations um, writing newsletter gathering information about China mm. these kind of things it's a lot of research mm-hmm. okay um, and then finally to to finish off um, yeah, maybe uh, we already talked about the 20 year old kind of what you know what opportunities there are or what you would say but is there also some some useful advice that you would give now yourself, your 20-year-old self looking back, um, something you maybe you would have done differently or something you would exactly do the same way again, especially in this context of like being abroad as well, going abroad. Um, what recommendation would you give yourself? Um, I think what I would have done again is splitting up my studies between actually staying in my home country and moving abroad because mm-hmm. I think it's important to see both sides mm-hmm. also maybe for later life to understand you know your own country as well as abroad I think mm-hmm. that was quite important um, also for the language of course um, what I would tell my 20 year old self do more internships uh, while you are still a student and start mm. early. Mm. And also always to remember that nobody is born with an amazing CV, but mm. everybody builds up an amazing CV. Mm. And if you look at the people who are now in these in your dream position, mm. they all started at this very small organization, six-week mm. internship very early, mm. and they build up. It's every step by step by step. Mm. And I think it's quite important to remember this eventually. That's true. And now I actually, sorry, I had one more question popping up in my head because I was wondering, did you, um, how much is it expensive to study in China? I thought about this earlier. You mentioned that it's a good idea as well to go and study there. Is it expensive or are there differences between public, private? How is that? Yeah. Um, well, studying in China, they do have tuition fees here, which mm. can be actually quite high. A friend mm. of mine just told me about uh, Shanghai University, I think, let me not lie, 16,000 euros a year. Mm. Um, but uh, the Chinese government uh, gives a lot of uh, scholarships and they, mm. those scholarships, they cover your tuition fee as well as living allowance and housing. Mm-hmm. So actually that makes it quite quite cheap to study here in China. Um, the DAD, for example, helps you mm. with these kind of scholarships. And they also have really exciting uh, programs where you can do an internship in China and do the, uh, do language, for example, mm. just as advice. <laughs> mm. um, so uh, technically it would be expensive, but actually it's not. Okay. And you can also get, as a foreigner, you can also have access to these scholarships, like you just said, yes, through the DAD, for example. Yeah. Yeah, mm. these are ex- explicitly for foreigners. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for giving us an insight on what's happening on the other side of the globe. Um, <laughs> I think some of us, I mean, especially for people 
sitting and listening uh, in Germany, maybe it sounds very futuristic. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited <laughs> now to come to China and um, share an umbrella through apps as well. So that sounds very interesting. And yeah, thank you so much for sharing your, um, your insights. And we will see what feedback we get as well. Maybe more questions come up from, um, from people listening as well. And then I'm yeah. excited to touch base with you again. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, looking Lisa. forward to it, Rona. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed these insights and are ready to grow beyond. If you have any questions or feedback, please head to www.growbeyond.com, beyond spelled with you because it's all about you, or email rona at growbeyond.com. You can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. All infos are also in the description of this podcast. We are looking forward to hearing from you. Let's grow. I'm Rona. Thank you for listening. Thank you.